passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. It's Rewind a Dynamite, John Pollock and Wei Ting with you on this Wednesday night. Hello, Wei. What's up, John? How you doing? Well, I'm doing uh I'm doing tremendous. Doing outstanding. How was your birthday? Uh I had a I had a really good day. I, I had I mean I didn't really have many plans, but I, I ended up doing quite a quite a bit. Got some nice gifts. Got to hang out oh. with my mom for a bit. That was a lot of fun. Nice. What was the, what was the best gift that you had? Uh, I got, I got some new books. I got some new books. My uh, my drive for fifty again. Excellent, excellent, great. Well, any you care to share, like or, like just books. Uh, they're all they're all non combat sports related books. I got one on uh, on Bob Iger, the former head of Disney, the now outgoing chairman of Disney. Uh, so I'm gonna read that one. That one looks uh. A rather quick read. The others are all in the mail, so I haven't actually received them yet. Cool, man. Yes. Awesome. So that is all. Um, yeah. How was how was your normal Tuesday? Fine. Yeah, it was fine. I actually went to the, to the mall for the first time in a long time. Uh, How's the mall they doing? Just, they were just open on a two, on a Wednesday. Actually, I went today, not Tuesday, but on a Wednesday afternoon, it wasn't as busy as normally this this weekend i'm sure it will be but uh i went suit shopping actually for an impending wedding so did that oh, who's getting married i am this guy oh I, that's right that's right way ting is getting married <laughs> yes i am yeah so i've never had like a custom really anything made before so i'm doing that um took measurements and did all that stuff so that i fun. went in w- when i had to go and get my get my suit and everything my goal was that I was told like, oh, it's going to be a real long process. I was like, I bet it won't be in and out less than half an hour. I was not wavering. I was like this, 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 this. Perfect. Done. I'm sure they very appreciated your your patronage. I mean, a man who knows what he wants. That's it. I'm I'm not one to uh, uh, debate. Oh, this color, that color. No, I'm very decisive. Well, that's that's very important. Um, but there are a lot of options. Like when you go in there, like just even the shades of blue is like they have like ten thousand shades of blue. I didn't even think it in patterns. And then like, did you get the stuff of like you, you get to choose your lining, and then like an inscription as well if you want want one of those. No, I didn't go that deep and get an inscription. No, 
you know, comes with it. Now, what am I supposed to write? Uh, I would, I think anyone would go for the, the, the natural play on words with your name, but I feel that's overdone. I've used up all of mine for a lifetime, so I wouldn't go that mm-hmm. direction. Um, yeah, don't, don't think I would do that. Too, uh, so. To infinity and beyond. Okay. Yeah. Great movie. I'll think about that one. Okay. I'll give it some thought. Did you pick an inscription? No, not yet, actually. Oh, okay. I, haven't, still... I haven't properly made the order yet. I see. Today was just sort of the consultation. I see. I see. Well, good luck with that. I hope it goes well. Well, thanks. I hope these stores stay, stay open in, enough for me to actually go in and put the order in. I think but, you're going to be safe. Yeah. At this point, it seems that we're we're at the point of no return in the sense that I don't think we're going to be going backwards. Perhaps. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I really hope that on Thursday, it's not just a plethora of one year ago, how the world changed. It's like, man, I have had this damn thing drummed into me for every single day for the last year that we don't have to announce that March 11th was the day the world stood still when Rudy Gobert was taken out uh, and a basketball game was canceled and the world was introduced to the real realities of of COVID. I'm sure it will be. I mean, oh, I think every course. every news broadcast needs a hook. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh anyway, we're not we're not going to fall prey to it. We're not we're not going to uh reminisce. The year's been uh I think everyone knows what the score is. On that note, if you do want to ask us some questions, folks, the best time to do it is once a month for Ask Away. And what a what a great show we have. I th- I really like Tuesday's show. I thought it was one of the better ones. I always love Ask Away. It's like it's a show we don't have to do any prep for. Uh, we just answer your questions. And they can be questions about anything, not just wrestling-related, um, you know, really about anything. And that was available yesterday, over 100 minutes of questions every single month. Next week, next month, it's going to be live. That's right. We have post-podcast day to look forward to on Saturday, April 3rd, and we're going to have a six-hour live broadcast consisting of six different shows, one of them being a live Ask Away. So you, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you will have access to all of the live shows that are going on that day and the chance to Ask Away. Yes, live and in person, uh, over Zoom, I suppose. Yes, uh, yes, this will be a, a Zoom uh, invite that you will be offered uh, to join us. We will also have a special edition of the British Wrestling Experience with Martin and Benno going through the history of WCW in Europe. And uh, we'll have some more show announcements. I finalized one today, a very cool theme. So uh, more announcements to come. It's so exciting that'll stuff. Be, that'll be available for all patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe in April. But for those of you who are patrons with us in March, coming up this weekend... Not only do we kick things off with Rowena Smackdown exclusively for patrons, but then Sunday slash Saturday evening, it is a bonus edition of Division with me and WH Park talking about the assembled making of documentary that's set to appear on Friday. Uh, so we'll be chatting all about that. Plus, we'll be previewing Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I'll have an exclusive interview with a member who is uh, part of the WandaVision cast talking about what it was like to be part of that whole production. So that's coming out on the cafe this weekend. Look at Wade, just just building, going off, spinoff shows, guests. Yeah, next next week it's the return of the wellness policy. That's right. The wellness policy will be back next week. 
Uh, mm. When you were saying coming up uh, for patrons this weekend, for a split second, I was like, oh, my God, it's Fastlane this weekend. Please don't be this weekend. It's next weekend. You got a week off of that. I'm yes. not ready. I'm, I've am i pulled over to the side of the road. I'm not ready for Fastlane this weekend. I'm looking forward. This weekend, dude, it's like there's a big Noah show. But other than that, it's a, it's a pretty uh, low-key weekend. Mm-hmm. Well, um, enjoy it. I mean, there is impact sacrifice, but... Uh, we got John Cena covering that for us. John Cena will have coverage of Sacrifice. Actually, Sacrifice looks like a pretty interesting show. We'll get to that in the news with uh, what what is announced. But all of uh, the shows can be found at postwrestling.com. We've got uh, many shows up already this week. New Post Perez will be up later this week. Brandon Thurston will be on the long and winding Royal Road with WH. It's three straight days of WH Park. So buckle up and get ready. Put Put your car in park. And listen to WH. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Who needs the fast lane when you can stay in park <laughs> for the weekend? Lovely. <laughs> and again, uh, one more time to remind everybody, the Post Pro Rest shirt is on sale, 20% off this week for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. So uh, support your, our man WH Park with one of those. One last plug. I'll be joining Martin and Benno on the British Wrestling Experience tomorrow. So check that out and uh, hear me talk about Brit Res. World Traveler waiting on the British Wrestling Experience on Thursday. So uh, check all of that out. Moving on over, WWE on Wednesday announced that this year there will be a Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, They announced this on the bump. Uh, Still details to come, but they announced that a ceremony will take place on Tuesday, April the 6th. And not indicating if this will just be a virtual event, which... I would imagine is probably the likelihood of this. But interesting is that there will be the inductees from last year going in and a 2021 class. Uh, don't I don't quite know why the need to do two classes uh, as opposed to one, especially if this ends up being a virtual event. This is going to be quite the lengthy process. And I guess it really comes down to, I mean, squandering any main eventers that you would put in like double up on i wouldn't suggest doing that but uh we got the announcement today molly holly would be part of the 2021 class and then uh, last year the outstanding ones were batista the nwo the bella twins jbl davy boy smith jr and jushin thunder liger yeah he'll have to stay up a bit late if he's gonna appear on zoom for that induction speech yeah um I was a little surprised by it. Certainly the fact that they were going to announce a, a new class. Um, perhaps it's, it's them just really loving the idea of being able to make new announcements, you know, such and such is going in. Um, I really am curious how long the broadcast will be, how long these speeches will be, whether they will be pre-recorded speeches or whether they will be live speeches, whether there'll be any sort of live element at all, or if the whole thing will be a pre-produced show like they, like they did their uh, year end awards. So it's definitely something new and different. I'm sure like it's it's being done for a reason. Like obviously it's content for Peacock. It's uh, we'll get into this with the NXT announcements tonight, but they're they are going to have events every single night that week from raw through raw the next week. Uh, there's going to be something every night WrestleMania related. Uh, and I guess the hall of fame kind of kicks that off on April the 6th, and we'll see how it's it's handled. Uh, Worth noting as well, this was mentioned, um, I have a link to it in the update today with the Associated Press that did a story talking to Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon, and that is they have not finalized 
a location to when they leave Tropicana Field because April 9th, which is the Friday of WrestleMania weekend, that's when the Tampa Bay Rays have their first home opener and will be using Tropicana Field. So they are, I guess, in the midst of locking down their next location after Tropicana Field. But you would figure like they, if they have to get out of there a little earlier, um, this new location, like that could be, if you do the virtual setup, is how you could do the Hall of Fame with a virtual audience in the Thunderdome. That could be one option. Sir, yeah. They could really, they could do it from anywhere. They could do it from the Performance Center, Stanford. Who knows? Do you, do you think we get all the inductees actually coming in for this? Maybe with the exception of Liger? Or do you think they could just completely do this virtually? I think they could do the whole thing virtually. Um, but I do also think that like some of the participants might make an appearance during WrestleMania this year since it's uh, live in attendance WrestleMania. You know, they'll come out, do, do the whole weekend thing. You know, they'll get kind of like pampered for, for the entire week. Can kind of see that. So maybe you'll have a bigger, bigger element of, of live uh, incorporation. But, you know, like, it's not like other award shows have that. Like, other awards are, are being given out virtually, like, at home, aren't, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, they've been doing... Uh, what are they going to do for the Grammys? I don't know what the, the setup is uh, for that. I imagine it's... Uh, I, I really don't know. I have no idea how the Grammys are working this year. Um, anyway, so the Hall of Fame is happening. Uh, there's going to be a lot of inductions that night. And then... Fast forward 24 hours later, and it will be night one, stand and deliver, NXT TakeOver. It'll be a two-night TakeOver. So the first night is just going to be them in the regular USA Network slot from 8 till 10. And then night two will be on Peacock on the WWE Network on the Thursday night of WrestleMania week. This was the first of two announcements they made. And again, this is going to earmark a WWE event every single night for WrestleMania week. And this was expected, uh, but do you like the concept of breaking this up and using the television as the kickoff and then the second night on the network? I do like it. I think it's a, the number one priority. I think this company has is to migrate people from the WWE network over to Peacock and every kind of instance you can have to experiment with that, to drive home the fact that you have to get Peacock, uh, before WrestleMania itself, I think is a good thing. You know, perha perhaps some of the idea here is on a Tuesday, you initially, you know, for the Hall of Fame, get people to put, to go over. Thursday, you get a bunch of people going over. So that by the time you hit Saturday for WrestleMania, hopefully the problems will be fully fleshed out and everybody who, uh, you know, should be aware is aware and that people aren't really complaining because they've had multiple chances to promote this and, you know, be aware. And I guess the next question is where they do this will it just be in the capital wrestling center are they going to take nxt takeover to to tampa where wrestlemania is being hosted and fi finding something there like do you do you open this up to more fans than what the capital uh, capital wrestling center can hold uh I don't think so, because they probably have to, you know, uh, leave the set design and all that, like take time for for WrestleMania. They probably don't want to, you know, give away the, the set or anything like prior to I'm it. not saying in Raymond James Stadium, but maybe something that, that is closer. Like if you wanted to try and sell tickets to TakeOver with the idea that you right. are going to have, you know, more than 10,000 fans that might be interested in going to this like what what is the wwe's comfort level going to be with uh large-scale events this week beyond just the two-night wrestlemania does that extend to take over 
Yeah, part something you know they could always do it. They could extend it for the Hall of Fame and and, and everything if they really wanted to. But uh, something tells me that they want to kind of save WrestleMania as sort of the big first gathering of the public and which is also uh, outdoors, a lot safer yep. than you know doing indoor events. Like um, this isn't the UFC. To the WWE's credit, they have shown a bit more caution than that. Yeah, I really think that, like, you know, with NXT, their priority is to, again, like, try to promote this Peacock thing with an extra night of... Essentially, you're getting an extra night of NXT and then maybe a more elevated kind of card on your regular Wednesday show. Uh, so I, I really think the priority might just be those two things rather than trying to get the fans in there for the for that one. The other announcement that they made, and they made both these announcements right off the top with William Regal, was the introduction of the NXT Women's Tag Titles of which they were handed to Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, which I think put quite the spotlight on how quickly this idea came together when you just finished a tournament that they won, uh, and then you did last week's deal. And then they made the impromptu match with the people that they beat in the finals, and coming out of tonight's show were the new tag champions, Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. Oh, interesting. I didn't know the result. Um, okay. Interesting booking. So what is it? Two two champions already? In that yes, we're we on to our second set of champions uh, of the newly formed tag titles. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's it's more titles. I mean, they certainly made a point at the beginning of the show to get every woman out there to just show you how many women are on this roster to really give you a sense that we have a lot of people that can uh, flesh out this division, which is the natural comparison to the main roster where... I think those women's tag titles could have been used as a much more uh, important device where you could have bounced back to different shows and just had them come down to NXT every every now and then and, and utilize that. But they're just going to operate with their own set of women's tag titles. Pro- uh, yeah, probably for the best. I mean, that communication I, it hasn't really been happening. And I, don't, I think any chance of an NXT team actually beating a Raw team or a SmackDown team probably seemed pretty slim. Does this further isolate the, the brands? Like, does this... Yeah, it does. Like, I think that it would be interesting to know how much... Like, we've seen it drastically reduced over the last year, but the involvement of main roster talent popping down to NXT, uh, does this further create a divide where we are not going to see those all that often? I feel like anytime, like, you know, they request it, um, I, I certainly think if there's an expendable talent or like a group of, uh, you know, I guess you won't necessarily have like, you know, um, what is it? Naya and Shayna popping down. Um, but I think anytime they request like a special attraction, I think you'll still get people like edge perhaps, you know, making their trip down. But, it, but by this point, like any chance of a rumble winner, for instance, challenging an NXT champion, like we know that that's never going to happen. Edge turns on NXT. It's like, Oh my God, I never told Finn my decision. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> I knew I forgot something. Yeah. Uh, Raw on Monday night. Uh, so these were kind of interesting numbers. So you're coming off a title change the last week. And there was obviously some buzz from that title change that garnered interest because the first hour of the show did over 2 million viewers, which was uh, significant. They have not done that uh, since the beginning of January. Overall, they finished at just under 1.9 million viewers. They were number one on cable, uh, up very, very slightly from last week. It was basically even viewership-wise. The demo fell 5%. They did a 0.55. We saw somewhat similar patterns. They lost 14% of their audience throughout the show, 8.5%. In the demo, but what they were able to do is overall um, produce their second highest viewership 
of the year behind Legends Night. So uh, that was greatly helped by the first two hours, and then you fell to 1.7 million in the third hour. But I would say that it it was more so, I think, the interest coming off of last week and maybe even a little bit about Lashley and Miz at the beginning. And then it kind of trailed off where I don't think Styles and Orton was going to be holding people because this was not a show that was really building for uh, a climax at the end of the show unless you were just... Oh my God, AJ and Randy, WrestleMania rematch, possible black goo. I'm parking my ass here in this seat for the next two and a half hours till I get this. I Something like that doesn't really surprise me. I think, you know, title changes on TV, um, you always want to see the aftermath. How many people, though, are going to be wanting to see the aftermath of Shane McMahon's promo with Braun Strowman? I think that's the bigger story next week. Um. I mean, boy, they've they've really set their sights high on their mania pro. Like that feels like the number two program on this show. The way it was positioned, I feel that thing's going to get a lot of time, and that's brutal because that was a god awful segment this week. It was really bad. And, can you um, can you imagine like if that's one of your big mania matches, and because it's Shane, it would be if that's going to be at Mania that you are going to get weekly build up to that and the Fiend and Randy on the same show. I, I've said it on Raw, like, I've just come to enjoy, like, weird shit like this. Um, So it could be great or it could be painfully boring, which I think would be the worst, okay? I'd rather they surprise me with, like, the wildest, stupidest ideas than something like, you know, just a, I don't know, standard. Um, So we'll see. I think we should all monitor and see what week does waiting break. On this program, oh, he's going into it with a positive attitude, but he's got five weeks. It will it will crumble. Monday was tough. Yeah, Monday was certainly that was it, a very it, bad segment. Yeah, well, it wasn't just the segment; it was the entirety of the show. It was just such a nothing, boring show. Uh, some other ratings notes: uh, Impact did 144,000 viewers on Tuesday, and we can talk about uh, Tuesday's show. Uh, it finished 117th among the uh, top 150 cable programs, but they set some stuff in motion. So they've got the sacrifice special on Saturday, and it's going to be headlined by a unification match between Rich Swan and Moose, combining the Impact and TNA World Heavyweight Championships. Uh, those are that's one of the five matches announced. Uh, but more importantly, and again, I think most saw where this was leading. The winner will face Kenny Omega in a title versus title match at Rebellion at the end of April. Yeah, finally we're getting that match, and we're getting a mini tournament out of it, seemingly as well. So it, it seems to be the culmination, at least at the uh, finally, uh, or some movement in this months-long storyline of this forbidden door finally opening up. So there's there's bound to be some interest, yeah, for sure. What do you th- see as like you're doing title versus title? I mean, is this a foregone conclusion that you're going to have Kenny continue the belt collector gimmick and? continue with the impact title you know at this point you really kind of have to assess like how beneficial this relationship has been for for impact wrestling how beneficial it's been for AEW as well i think it's i think it's been mutually beneficial certainly like we wouldn't be talking about impact as much as we have right now if not for that crossover i don't think davey portman would be doing a weekly impact review called deep impact which you can find on that next feed every tuesday night if it wasn't for this crossover so i think they've already benefited uh, to some extent. Now, does that benefit continue if you have Kenny Omega win your championship? I'm not sure. What do you think? 
I think I think they should have the ring explode at the end. Like, okay, after Eddie Kingston's line tonight about Impact not being able to build rings. Yeah. They're actually gonna and then Scott Demore gets on the mic and says, nobody bombs like Impact Wrestling bombs. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, this one's, these are always tough to predict. And I, I think, though, there, there has to be a real result. You cannot, you know, out your way out of this match with some sort of fuck finish. Like, that would probably... No, you have to everybody. do... Someone's got to leave with both belts. If you're promoting this for this amount of time... You selling one, people on it's the only for the impact it's only for the impact belt though right like kenny's belt, no they, they said online. title versus title oh really kenny's yeah I, there's no way rich swan is winning what if it's moose yeah no way moose is winning the AEW championship no way um the rest of sacrifice has uh kira hogan and tasha steels against jazz and jordan grace uh, the Good Brothers defending the tag titles against Finley and Juice Robinson. This was all taped, as you can see by you know some of these people being in Japan right now. Uh, TJP versus Ace Austin for the X Division title, and Diana Perazzo versus ODB for the Knockouts title. So uh, this looks like a good, uh, you know, small, but I mean it's five matches here, but it looks like a good card on Saturday. So John Cena will have a review of that coming up uh, Saturday night on the site. Last thing is the New Japan Cup. They finished up the first round today uh, with three matches. It was, uh, let me just pull up the notes here. We had in the main event, Jay White defeating Toa Hanare. They went over 24 minutes. I thought I thought Jay White was, was great in this match. Toa Hanare, I'll say, if you watch this match, I was watching it looking for like a superstar breakout performance. I don't think this match was it. Um I, I more so credited Jay White for a lot of this match. I wouldn't even say the 24 minutes or so dragged, and I think that's a credit that you had a main event with, you know, someone that is unproven in Toenari in that big of a slot. It was, it, it was to me though, it, w- it was not the level where you watch it and Toenari is this superstar in in the w- in waiting. I, I still feel he was, you know, se- several levels below Jay White in this match. But White won, and then afterwards cut a promo where he said that he's going to win the New Japan Cup and way he's going to challenge Kota Ibushi and when he wins the title, he's going to separate them because Kota Ibushi is trying to erase his name from history. So his pleading to Hiroshi Tanahashi, who he has to meet in the second round, is lay down for me so that I can go separate the titles and I'm doing this for you as well. So this brought about many questions as I was watching this. Number one, why does Jay White have the power to separate these titles? And apparently Tanahashi does not. Like if Tanahashi, why would he have to lay down for Jay White? Could he not just win this thing? And and does anyone have the power to just ununify the titles once they beat Kota Ibushi? I, I think we've learned from, you know, Kota Ibushi being the one to really kind of like instigate this this title unification deal that the champion does have a level of clout when it comes to th- matters like this. So in the end, it's just I'm sure Tanahashi would be able to do it as well. I'm sure. Maybe, but maybe Jay White just thinks he's more capable of beating Kota Ibushi. In the end, it's trying to give give you a reason to care about this match and, and, and care about Jay White's motivation for wanting to beat Hiroshi Tanahashi, I, I suppose. Um, it's 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 interesting how much story they're able to get out of, like, a title unification, which um, usually just occurs. Like, uh, 
all right, we're going to give you a new belt. And that's it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe after Saturday, there's going to be someone in Impact who wants to ununify the TNA heavyweight and Impact titles, and there will be uh, a battle for that. Uh, Yoshihashi defeated Yujiro. Um, average match at best. Uh, and then Chase Owens lost to David Finley. I, I like this match. It was Finley just getting his back destroyed for all of the match and Owens coming up with creative ways to use his backbreaker. And then in the end, he goes for the package pile driver and it's reversed into a Rana and Finley just hooks the legs and pins him. So David Finley advances. So this is the second round matches. So I'm going to get your predictions on who's advancing Thursday. It's going to be evil and Jeff Cobb and the great Ocon versus Tori Yano. Ocon Yano. I think, I think Ocon wins it. And then uh, evil and Cobb. Um, I kind of like Cobb. Yeah, Cobb versus Ocon. I'll go with wait, you. But oh, wait, they can't do that. They're in the same stable. They could still have a match. It's not against the rules. It would be interesting to see how they do that. But I also don't really see them booking it. So could it be Evil and Ocon, which is a tough match to book to? I, I think Evil's got to win this one, especially after they gave him the bye. I think I think he's got to advance at least uh, a bit further. So then, um, what are we looking at? Evil and Yano potentially. It's hard for me to think Yano beating. Oh, Ocon I don't. After. I I think Ocon's. Oh God, that would be really crappy for Ocon to have to lose to Yano, even not, with not a to mention a waste. Not to mention a waste of the the, the, the Naito win. Yeah, the I, Naito I think win. Ocon needs to win this, and then he faces Evil. Uh, Shingo Takagi. Uh, the best first round match was Shingo and Okada. Definitely check out that. Um, Minoru Suzuki and Tomoki Hanma had a phenomenal match as well. Zack Sabre Jr. and Gabriel Kidd. I would recommend those matches. Uh, but Takagi and Goto, uh, that should be fantastic. But uh, what you just brought up, I would not... I think Takagi beating Okada, he needs to go far. I could see this guy going to the finals, if not ultimately winning. Agreed. And Minoru Suzuki and Kenta. That sounds awesome. It's been a long time since these guys have had a singles match. This should be, I'm really interested. This is going to be a great show on Saturday, just with these two matches. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, who do you pick? Uh, I'll say Kenta, but I would love, you could renew Takagi and Suzuki. Uh, I'm not going to complain about that rematch. I'll lean Kenta. I think they'll go Kenta. Me too. With Shingo. Uh, then Sunday, Wei Ting's birthday. Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Yuji Nagata versus Sonata. Yuji Nagata, Sonata. Okay. I'm interested to see how Yuji, Yuji Nagata looks. Um, Osprey Sabre? I think Osprey. Yeah, I think Osprey Sonata. That's probably your, your matchup in the next round. And the final set of second round matches is Monday at Korakuen Hall with Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jay White and David Finley versus Yoshihashi. What a disparity. Well, we know which one's the main event. Um, Tanahashi and White Yoshihashi. could probably... Uh, yeah, it, it could be. Um, so Tanahashi, Jay White. Um, yeah. Um, and then Yoshihashi and... I think the winner of this is going to be getting Will Ospreay uh, to, to round out that, that portion of the bracket. Tanahashi and Jay White could go either way. I mean, they're they're pushing Jay White very heavily. You could do the rematch with Ibushi, uh, but they've also hinted at Tanahashi with Ibushi's promo after the Desperado match. So I would say the ones in play are White, Osprey, Shingo, 
and Tanahashi with an outside chance. I would say those are the four to be looking at to get the match with Ibushi on April 4th. But it's been a good tournament so far. And based on this lineup, you're going to get some great matches over the next couple of weeks before this wraps up on the 21st. So that is your latest on the New Japan Cup. Anything else before we head on over to Daly's place? No, let's go. Did you have audio issues on Dynamite? I did not. No, I don't think they were. I I, I heard all, all night issues on, on TNT. Um, on TSN, we did have like brief kind of like black flashes, dips to I black. got those, but I had no audio issues. But No I audio did, issues in Canada. I, don't think. I did see a tweet, though, from someone in Canada stating that they had had audio issues, but that was only one tweet. Were they so watching on TSN? Yeah, who stated it was happening on TSN. And oh. I, I had no audio issues tonight, but it was it sounded like it was a disaster. I think they've put up the Ethan Page Lee Johnson match on YouTube because uh, it was just a mountain of complaints uh, from people about the audio issues. Uh, it seemed to peak during that match. That's unfortunate. Well, the show began coming out of Revolution with Ray Phoenix and Matt Jackson to start things off. And they're plugging immediately that next we're going to hear from John Moxley and Eddie Kingston to address what happened at the end of the pay-per-view. So we have Nick Jackson and Pac ringside, and sitting in the crowd are Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian, who they note are ranked number one in the tag team division. Yeah, nice to have that clarification. They're what, like six wins? They're six, six and oh. Or something? Six and oh. I think they've all uh, been on dark. They've all been on dark. But nonetheless, I mean, still respecting those rankings, which is nice to see. And we finally get to see an appearance from them. Do you think the storyline pretty much like comes to a head at this point, like with the Bucks match? I'm kind of disappointed if it does because I think like the juice of this story is watching them rise up and overcome team after team to get to this spot, and I feel like we've we've missed out on a big part of the story if we're already number one ranked and we're teasing a match now with the Young Bucks so quickly. Yeah, well, obviously the other option is to actually have SCU win the titles from the Bucks. But I also feel like they, I wonder if they would take the belt, belt off the Bucks and before they've gotten to the Good Brothers feud, which we haven't really had any, any mention of um, in the past couple of uh, episodes. But they've also been busy doing other things. So I, it's hard for me to see SC winning the belts, but that would mean that they would have to break up. Well, the match between Phoenix and Matt Jackson, I thought was great. Uh, they... If you want to be a, a, a critic of the Young Bucks or even uh, the certain style that you would associate, they wrestled such a complete opposite of what you would have expected. This was just a – I don't know how you can criticize this. Um, it was just, to me, a really entertaining match built around like a lot of selling in this. There was – a lot of Matt's offense focused on the back of Ray Phoenix and it affecting his offense, even when he uh, lifted him up at one point and his back just gave out. Uh, we saw uh, a, a Hurricane Rana get countered uh, with a sit-out powerbomb off the top by Matt uh, and then a slingshot destroyer by Matt into the ring and then one to the floor by Matt. Phoenix pops in at nine and immediately gets hit by a top rope elbow. Matt then goes to the sharpshooter, again putting... Uh, pressure on the back and Phoenix is able to get out misses Matt and drop kicks Nick on the floor. So Matt retaliates super kicking pack Phoenix then does this sequence where he spins out of the ropes, misses a spinning wheel kick. Matt hits a super kick 
Phoenix does a kip up, spin kick, and both go down. And the crowd's all cheering for this. Each goes for a super kick at the same time and hit each other in the shins. Phoenix then reverses a tombstone, hitting the Fire Thunder driver and pinned Matt Jackson in 14 minutes and 15 seconds. I, I enjoyed this match a lot. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it too. I don't think it was um, what you would have expected from you know a pairing like this. From I like that. I, I like that they they went a different like Matt Jackson's. Uh, you know the Young Bucks do these types of matches a lot, but I liked seeing Phoenix in this environment too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like when you're doing a singles match, it's it's maybe a bit more important to like you know take a bit more time and and perhaps rely a bit more on selling than just high spots. But you certainly had those in there as well. So I thought this was a really solid opener and. It was good logical booking to set up the challengers. And probably you would think that uh, at some point over the next, they didn't announce this for next week, but at some point do Nick and Pac before you mm-hmm. get to uh, the tag title match. Like you can have a lot of fun stuff before you get to the tag title match involving these four. So John Moxley and Eddie Kingston are sitting in their hotel in front of a fire, having drinks together. What What was this like? Uh, it, was this like a hibachi thing? Like they were, um, like they were eating uh, Japanese grilled meat or something? Well, the bocce was at the end of the pay-per-view that they were trying to explain. <laughs> uh, my biggest complaint immediately is that there were no effects from this one-winged angel through a chair. And I thought that that was uh, just totally trivialized what was a spectacular-looking maneuver that should have had great impact for John Moxley. And instead he not only was fine here, he got involved physically on the show. Like I I thought that was a major gap in logic that he had his neck compressed through a chair that kept him down in this ultimate title match. And he was completely fine on Wednesday with no even mention of it. I kind of feel even the same for Kenny. Like, you know, like even aside they from should have been like they went through a war and mm-hmm. instead it felt like we were too focused on um, retconning the finish and explaining that, that you you put all the attention on the bad part at the end and completely ignored the great half hour that you did produce. And there could have been some I'm saying no, don't ignore the ending, weave that into a story, but let's not diminish this incredibly dangerous match that we promoted for a month as the most uh, dangerous thing you were ever going to see on pay-per-view and the effects of it. Like they, the story was that these men went through a war together before the ending. I totally agree. I mean, even if the big explosion didn't occur, I mean, they did go through a number of little tiny explosions that I think on any other show within any other story or any other match would have taken somebody out for at least a week. So I was definitely disappointed to see Mox and Kenny not sell some of those injuries. But I do think, you know, you mentioned how they kind of, they're ignoring the rest of the match and only focusing on, on basically putting out the fire that was the finish, uh, or lack thereof fire. Um, unfortunately, that's what everybody watching the show also felt. You know, most of the audience, I would say, even though they appreciated the match, I don't think they were ever talking about the match. They I know you had to address it. Yeah, I just... By the end of it, and with it's like you certainly they, I, you certainly can't criticize them of running away from the the ending controversy. They certainly did not do that, but I almost thought it was like it was too much attention that if you didn't watch this pay per view, you were just thinking like, what the hell happened? Like this this ending that just seemed like a total 
I'm glad I didn't buy it was actually the feeling I think most would have because they made it clear that nothing exploded and it was a letdown. Like if you had missed this instead of putting over, like you got to see this unbelievable classic uh, in this genre of deathmatch that was pretty unbelievable too. I think you could have achieved both and it seemed like it was more the focus was the botch at the end. Yeah, perhaps you could have done both. So Moxley and Kingston uh, are sitting there and Kingston has to explain how he laid on top of John Moxley for 90 seconds after this non-explosion. He said that he had a flashback to the last time he had this level of of anxiety. It was when he was sitting in jail, waiting for court before he was going to be sent to Rikers. And in that moment, everything went black and said, if you're calling me a coward, well, I'm not talking to you. This isn't a video game, Kenny. I didn't get scars on my hands playing video games. And he calls Kenny Omega the Joker and John Moxley Batman. And they concluded that the bombs underneath the ring must have been paid for by Impact Wrestling. <laughs> just there is for Impact, dude. Like they're just throwing under the bus here as like the the one liner. The, the the punchline to this whole thing it's like you oh, know we we kid, we kid but really impact for rebellion should be booking some sort of exploding ring deathmatch to show that hey this is like leonard asper should want to want to put one of those on to be like this is what i can afford guys look check it out um we we expected uh some explanation here and i think this was about as best as they could have done you know to claim the fainting um I think they should be extremely grateful that they have somebody like Eddie Kingston be the one to have to do this ex- explanation. Because uh, to a lesser talker, I don't know if it, it would have even come across uh, this like this. I'm not even saying this is a great explanation, but I really feel like given the circumstances, this might have been the best that they could have done. Um, he kind of took like a pretty embarrassing moment for the company and tried to wrap it in something that sounded tough and sounds relatively real. He's in a jail cell. He's about to go to court and he fainted from the anxiety of, you know, potentially going to jail for a long time. So what if um, Braun Strowman had to explain this? Yeah, I don't, you know, they would have scripted something um, terrible. I think last night I went back on my free subscription of the WWE Network available for $9.99, and it brought me back to the anxiety of when you called me <laughs> stupid. What if Dominic had to explain this? <laughs> uh, Dad, don't you know? No, I can't. I can't. I would need too much. <laughs> this isn't even over yet. Moxley's turn here. He makes fun of it that... He's made more explosive volcanoes when he was in grade school. He didn't win the title, but he got a drinking buddy back. And he says, you could have come down a bit earlier when I was getting the crap beaten out of me. And Kingston explained that by saying he had to look good on pay-per-view. And Kingston warned them, if you're going to flash a weapon, you better use it. JR loved the candidness that these two provided. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's I would say the the thing that most people were probably tuning into the show for. And I I, I would think, say like I I don't think this was like a, you know, unbelievable explanation. Like no. I I go back to uh, in OVW when Jim Cornette had to just do 
mental gymnastics to explain some of these storylines that they would pluck guys up, put them on main roster that contradict the ongoing OVW storylines and make sense of them. This was not that, that level of detail to explain stuff. Um, I think a lot of the audience just want to see them actually draw attention to it because yeah. I'm certain that there are others that would just totally ignore it and not draw attention to it. Um, they cert- I, I would argue they, get, they drew too much attention to it on this show, if that's my criticism. Perhaps, um, but certainly ignoring it would have been the worst thing that they could have done. I, I, think, we- I think with this audience, I think they were – you, you have to call out the elephant in the room and not just mm-hmm. play, play dumb with your audience. There's some wink-wink there about like, you know, hey, we did screw up everybody, sorry. But in wrestling, things screw up all the time. Like there's a whole – Botchamania is dedicated to wrestling screw-ups. And part of the, the art of professional wrestling is to build on those mistakes to try to fold them into story and to try to make sense of them so that you can continue building to your matches. And I Go really in the feel- direction that reality gives you. This was not the plan, mm-hmm. but we have – been sent off course so now it's our duty to explore that course and get back on track yeah they way. didn't try to lie to the audience like they're basically kind of writing a new story based on what had happened cody rhodes defeated seth Gargis, who's been on a couple of dark matches uh back in november just power slam figure four and he tapped them out in 50 seconds shivani got into the ring and he brought up his shoulder injury the loss to Shaq. but before cody can explain Penta, joined by Alex Abrahantis, who I thought was awesome here. This guy was great. He was so smug. Like, he was a great heel translator. I thought that these two... I was not a big fan of the the Phoenix translation segment with with him a few weeks ago, but uh, with Lance Archer. But this pairing, I thought, worked significantly better. I didn't mind the the Phoenix thing, but like I I thought he he was very effective here, and I thought this whole thing was very effective for Penta. He translates for Penta that he thinks he's a thousand percent better than Cody, and he is the Lord of Lucha Libre. Laughs at his moniker, the American Nightmare, pointing out that he lost at Revolution, uh, which technically Penta did as well. Uh, he is lucky that Penta didn't focus on hurting his arm any longer, because if he did. Cody, you wouldn't be able to pick up your baby daughter. And this sends Cody into a rage as he goes after Penta. He has to be restrained in the bleachers. A really good angle between these two. And the most significant thing they've done with Penta in a long time. Oh my god, since... Like, when was the last time we heard Penta cut any sort of promo? I, this might have been the first, like, on Dynamite at least. Like, we've not heard a full promo from this guy. And I think we've seen on both companies them having a struggle with, like, talents who perhaps, you know, were, who's Engl- who, who, who for them English isn't first, their, their first language. They've had to get really creative with trying to get them to show their personalities, whether it be a Shinsuke Nakamura or Asuka. And that extends to, you know, Hikaru Shida and Penta, certainly, but I think they figured it out here. Great use of the translator, and even when Penta did speak English, though, I thought he sounded great. Like, he had, he speaks with a ton of charisma and personality in his delivery, and, I, you know, obviously maybe they don't, he do, maybe he doesn't trust himself enough, or maybe they don't trust him to do the whole promo, but I think having him at least, you know, convey that, hey, I can speak English if I wanted to, while having, you know, somebody like Alex do the bulk of the work, they really figured it out. And certainly it, it was up to Cody to sell it, right? And Cody getting pissed off at the great line was all you really needed here. They made it work. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought he, I thought Penta came off super charismatic here, and I'm, I'm only surprised that they're doing this next week so quickly. I am too. Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy are at the arcade. Chuck E. Cheese, maybe. <laughs> well, they admit that this has been going on too long with Miro and Kip. They want one more match, and Chuck vows to be Miro's butler forever if he loses, but suggests that we could get all your video games and put your heads through them. And then Orange Cassidy takes off his glasses and says, and then we break you. Yes. Yes. Was that a um, Rocky line? Uh, I was going for a bit of Ivan Drago there, but um, yeah, this was Orange Cassidy without an <laughs> accent. Yeah. Um, because they have not been rushing through this program at all. <laughs> it has gone very slow, but it looks like we do have an end in sight. Seems like it mercifully, right? Um, I'm not at all excited for this. And unfortunately, I'm just, I'm not a fan of these Chuck Taylor promos. Like, I think there are people on Dark that can promo better than this. I think Red Velvet runs laps around a promo like this, you know? Like, I know part of the character is like, he's just a slacker, but it just doesn't work. It does not work when you have a stable full of slackers. Um, But Ch Chuck kind of like, is not even um doesn't have much of a slacker's delivery with this promo. It's more just a bad amateur level of speaking when he speaks. So I it's hard to get excited for this um but on both the babyface and the heel ends. Uh so hopefully it's just one more match. I mean something we can look forward to is uh maybe the quality of match i really think that they should have done a stipulation for this i think I, I think that's where it's leading like this is going to be kind of your your street fight no holds barred kind of uh brawl. how about an arcade how about an arcade match where they brawl in an arcade okay yeah a video and arcade top 10 match yeah with nicholas, with nicholas piccolis. piccolis as the referee yeah tony Schiavone brings out sting calls darby a dangerous man and he's interrupted by lance archer and jake who says he's going to take his time. He never needed a ladder to prove he's the face of the revolution. If things don't change, he's going to take much more than just time. And then Tony points out, this is Sting's time. And Lance sarcastically apologizes before leaving. And I guess kind of giving you a hint that this could be Sting's next direction. Yes. Mm -hmm. QT will Marshall. It will it be a real match? I don't think they um, can do cinematic again. What I... What I would like to see is if Sting is back, let's say they, they tape this there next week. I think Archer should take out Sting and Sting goes away for some time and then come back. I do think he needs a bit of a, not a refresh, but just some time off. Like he should not be a week to week character. So do your angle with Lance Archer and then have Sting come back in time for the May pay-per-view. Hmm. Okay. Do you, yeah. do you think he should just, like, I just don't I, uh, know how much you do with him week by week, just doing the same interviews. Like, you have a you have a direction, you can do the big angle to take him out, and then Sting comes back for revenge. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm sure there's a way to get there. I guess I, guess I just wonder, like, you know, has Sting made enough of a point with his return yet before he just kind of went away relatively soon? I'm not saying he's going away for a long time. Like, six weeks. A few weeks. Yeah, I mean, that does feel like a long time. But QT Marshall was with Lee Johnson, and Dasha brings up the Battle Royal, and QT says, my emotions got the best of me. I'm only human. And 
He's focused on Lee Johnson getting the win tonight in his match with Ethan Page. So this was the match that it seemed like the audio was a disaster for uh, for most. Page is upset that Johnson's taking part of his spotlight, and uh, this has upset him. Maybe he just wants to have a monologue tonight. I guess. Like, what was he thinking for? Like, what was he? Th- I guess he should be annoyed because, like, he probably looked at the script and it was like, even though I'm getting the win in this segment, they're not going to close the shot on me to end it. So he does have a gripe. Uh, Page took most of this. They went through a commercial break. Johnson hit a blue thunder bomb, but then Page hit a cutter off the rope. Johnson then leaped off the turnbuckle and his knee gives out. And as the referee, Bryce Rumsberg, is checking on him, Page nails him with a thrust kick. And Lee Johnson rolls to the floor, selling his uh, selling his leg and asking QT for a hand. And QT just watches him. He's got to help out, out himself. And he gets back into the ring and Page lifts him over his shoulders and hits the ego's edge and pins Lee Johnson in seven minutes and 42 seconds. I felt like they had a lot to accomplish with this match. They had to introduce Ethan Page and showcase, you know, the fact that the man is a heel. They had to briefly showcase Lee Johnson. Um, And mainly, though, the focus of the segment felt like it was this QT story. And perhaps because they were juggling so much, uh, like Page was right to worry about, he didn't come across like a big deal signing to me, like I I thought he would be when he was announced. Um, I have to say, like, it felt like a bit of an afterthought coming out of Revolution. But he's someone that needs promo time. I would be using him in a lot of promo segments to establish him for those that either just know the name or are not as familiar with Ethan Page. Because to me, he's going to make much more of an impact with a three minute promo than he will in a two segment match. And and he certainly will. Like the man is so talented in like all these departments that I think it's only a matter of time. And maybe that's why they're not so concerned about putting a ton of spotlight on him uh, in this one. But I'm you know, the QT thing I'm actually kind of interested in. I think QT might be a bit of an underrated performer. I'm curious to see what he's like as a heel. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Ethan came across fine here. Like, I, I think he's he's going to turn out to be a very good signing for AEW. But when Page continues his attack, QT just stands there not doing anything. Dustin runs out and QT walks out on them. And the announcers are trying to interpret his actions. They want to give QT every benefit of the doubt. Oh, what, what does this mean? This... QT can't be doing what we're thinking of. Like, what? Uh, what's wrong here? Did he not notice that Lee's hurt? It was. Uh, it just seemed like they were trying to give uh, QT as much of an out as possible. Well, he's been a nice guy this whole time. Come on. You, you need a bit more than two segments. Hangman Page has bought a new lawnmower with his money, uh, including uh, with his purchases. Six bottles of whiskey, Dwight Yoakam on vinyl, a new saddle, and then the Dark Order shows up. They all jump on the lawnmower, except for Alan Angels. He says, there's a weight limit. And they all go off for ice cream. Uh, I will say this. There, there are many comparison points between AEW and NXT. Uh, Cameron Grimes, 10-8 over Hangman Page. I like this. I didn't mind it so much. Uh, it's, it's not Cameron Grimes. He, he does it. I, I didn't think well. Hangman Page was going to necessarily be, hang, be Cameron Grimes here. But, uh, well, he got a lawnmower. Two rich cowboys, who would have thought? Um, at this point, Tony Khan actually issued a statement about the audio problem, stating that TNT had fixed their issue. So at least from that end, it sounded like it was a TNT problem. Kenny Omega comes out with the Good Brothers and Don Callis, stating it went according to plan on Sunday. 
Kenny says, maybe not everything, Mr. Callis, and calls it the explosion not heard round the world. Callis says they were blamed for the lack of explosion, and he's not going to confirm or deny if they had anything to do with that, but it made them happy to take that away from, from you, the viewer, that wanted to see that explosion. Tony Khan likes to make great memories. We make great history. We took John Moxley's big moment to die a big hero and Kingston's heroic moment away from them. That is quite the justification. We took John Moxley's ability to die on pay-per-view away <laughs> from him. And if John Moxley had perished, I mean, Eddie Kingston, it would have been a nice gesture to try and save him. But if ultimately he couldn't, I mean, it's uh. Well, both of them probably would have been in grave, grave, a grave state after this. Part of me wonders, like, what their plan was had everything actually went perfectly. Like, the explosion goes off. Um, what are their injuries following an explosion like this? I think, like, this is purely guessing, but I would think for something that was to be as dramatic as they had built it up to be, it would be the idea that Eddie Kingston took the brunt of it and is hospitalized, and John Moxley was either salvaged or it, it not impacted to the degree that Eddie Kings Eddie Kingston took the bullet for John Moxley, and it would be a long recovery to Eddie Kingston returning with a vengeance to go after Kenny Omega, and we get John Moxley and Eddie Kingston together in a ring together, right? Instead of next week, yeah. Yeah, that's probably. that's that's my guess. Like that's how I would have done this if if you were doing a massive uh, a massive like injury from the the explosion. Like that's how and, I would want to do it. And like, are there burns? Does he? Oh yeah, limb? dude. He's he's Victoria Principal, nineteen eighty seven. After the car explosion, don't really get the reference, but all right. He goes on to say that it's a win win for them if the ring had blown up. They win because they injured and maimed them. But without the ring exploding, they still win because Moxley and Kingston looked like idiots. And Omega laughs about Eddie Kingston covering and dry humping John Moxley as sparklers went off. <laughs> Kingston comes out and confronts them. And Don Callis points out how he knew him from Impact. I saw your talent and toughness, but I had to fire you. Because whenever you get this close to success, you find a way to screw it up, just like you did at Revolution. We took away your moment, and now we're going to offer you 10 seconds to get out of this ring before we take you out. And with that, a countdown clock appears, and they're frantically racing around. Eddie Kingston just stands there. He is not affected by this one iota. Callus then jumps on top of Kenny Omega, who is laying on the mat for <laughs> Kenny Omega to say, I just had a flashback to when I was put in detention in school and cuts a promo on Kingston, goading him and goading him until Kingston finally strikes Omega, the good brothers attack, and then Moxley runs out for the save. This is not the end of this because it continues on where Christian Cage's music plays as Kenny is left alone in the ring Christian comes out for a face-off. Christian's Titantron also has a countdown on it. Yes. Like, I, I yeah, was Christian 
like I I didn't realize like it just happened that he was also like an explosion countdown thing as well. Tease. That would have been the way to debut him is the explosion doesn't go off. And at the count of zero, Christian unadvertised walks out. Wow. That would have saved it. Sure. So Christian and Kenny Omega have a face off. Omega offers his hand, but then goes to hit Christian who ducks Goes for the kill switch. Don pulls him to safety. And Christian is left in the ring with the AEW championship. There was a lot going on in this segment. I thought all in all, it was like pretty well done. They owned up to the mistake in a way that maybe even like you said, John might have over been overdoing it. Coming up with explanation on top of explanation on top of explanation for why, why they intended for this to happen. But they are acknowledging it. Uh, they're writing a story out of it. I think using the explosion or lack thereof to mock Eddie Kingston was a good way to kind of, you know, carry on the storyline with Ka- Kenny and Callis looking like big heels and further baby facing Eddie Kingston with all that mocking. I think they tried their best to make Kingston look like a badass by standing up to these four guys while being outnumbered. Um, and you set up the tag match for next week and you also set up Inks- Kingston versus Kenny potentially. And then pivoting to Christian and Kenny as well. And it seems like, you know, this, you know, is the confirmation on this show, too, of the breakup of the family. You've got Penta now in a great position. Butcher and Blade remain to be seen. And then Eddie Kingston off here as a babyface. I I wish they would have given us an explanation about, at least on the Eddie Kingston, Butcher and Blade side. Yeah, it. it I don't think we're going to get any of that. It just seems like they all have been uh, sent their separate ways. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And it looks uh, K- Kenny and Christian. Like, do you see that being something they like? They seem to be teasing that immediately. Like, not something mm-hmm. you're going to build up. Like, I can't imagine them holding this off till May. I think that they might go and pull the trigger on TV with this. It's an interesting, like, first program for like Christian going right for the champion. You can yeah. get something out of Christian just him having a match. I don't, I think it's almost like too much to do this as. Like maybe he'll get some lead up before they do this. I wouldn't do this title match right away, but maybe I don't know if they can hold it off too long. Yeah, somebody in the chat is actually su- suggesting a six man with Christian. I guess with Mox and Kingston taking on Good Brothers and Kenny, which is something that obviously uh, could happen as well. So I think like I would like to see a bit more of a chase for Christian before getting to you know this level. Um, but Kingston versus Kenny is a match I'm looking forward to. Hikaru Shida, Ryo Mizunami, and Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Maki Ito. And the best part of this match was the brawl begins while Maki Ito continues singing on the stage. I thought this was awesome. It was a pretty pretty funny way of like immediately showcasing the type of character that she is. Just kind of like wacky off the wall and cares a lot more about singing than even wrestling. Uh Eventually, the match begins. Ito misses a Kokeshi on Shida. Uh, the match had its good and bad. There was there was some missed stuff in here. Mizunami comes in with her chops. They went through a break. Uh, Thunder Rosa, they beat her down for quite a bit of time. Thunder Rosa is setting up for a spin kick. And Baker was like on her knees. And it was like they had to pause. And I think they were waiting for Maki Ito to uh, get in position for her spot. And it just kind of was like... They had to just stand still. It was a bit of an awkward moment. Thunder Rosa hit the Cancun Tornado off the top to everyone on the floor. And then Nyla Rose drilled, uh, or sorry, Thunder Rosa drilled Maki Ito into the mat and pinned her with a driver. 
And then afterwards, Baker continued her attack on Thunder Rosa, applying the lockjaw and featured the attack of Rebel using a crutch and Vicky, like, using hammer fists onto Thunder Rosa's leg. And these were just (laughs) awesome. She she just wanted to get in on the action. (laughs) This was like, like your, this was quite the damage being done to this leg. Maybe a Charlie horse came out of this. (laughs) Maybe. And, you know, unfortunately, I thought Ido looked pretty sloppy and out of place here. Um, she yeah. looked a lot better to me on on Sunday's match. Um, it, it's one thing, I think, to, you know, be able to convey all that personality and, and having a great gimmick and a great look. But uh, ultimately, you have to, like, make sure that everything in ring is, is up to standard. And I, I didn't think she looked that great here. But the main program, of course, is Baker versus Rosa. And I think it's been in pretty good shape. Those two have looked really good in their matches. Yeah, and we'll get to the lineup next week. Obviously, a big, big spotlight for them next week. Matt Hardy's with Private Party, calls a criminal what Hangman Page did to him. He stole from him like Robin Hood. But fear not, he has multiple safes full of money and enough to sustain him through April Fool's. And he has signed a new unit to join him. His logic here is that he is going to spend more when his finances have been depleted. This is not how the gimmick works. You know what? That's what they say, though. You know, uh, like that's what happens in the casino. That's what happens in the stock market. You take a big loss and the temptation is there to just win everything back by spending more money. And that's going to be the story of how Matt Hardy loses his fortune. All that Hardy money, he's going to have to give up the compound. You know? It's that compound interest he's living off of, though. Oh, yeah, true. So he introduces the butcher, the blade and the bunny who walk in. And we get the indication that there's going to be an eight-man tag on Elevation Monday. And then they will go for revenge after the Dark Order. Yeah, so it seems like it makes sense. I guess add some extra numbers to make this Dark Order feud a bit more even. Um, I just wish there was more of a Butcher and Blade, Eddie Kingston breakup explanation. No Paul White on the show. I thought there would be more of a push for Elevation than we got tonight. They announced... um, like this they match. hinted at this eight man and they also promoted jungle boy against Danny limelight, uh, which was taped before tonight's show. But um, like it was mentioned, but it was more so just the time slot coming up. Not, I would say a uh, over the top promotion for elevation starting Monday. I guess they don't know if they have a big main event. Like, would this be the main event? The Matt Hardy dark order thing? Well, the fact that we only are aware of two matches, I mean, I get the sense that this is where it's going to differ from dark, that maybe it's going to be more of a, you know, less matches, but build them up throughout the show. And get, I, I'm I'm curious to see how the matches are presented. Like maybe you go with less matches, but you add, you know, a lot of promo material, video packages to make the matches feel important. We'll see. TNT Championship, Darby Allen against Scorpio Sky. They bump fists at the beginning and Darby sells his ankle early after flipping off of Sky's back. And then we got into... Uh, these guys ended up working off each other very effectively. Allen rotated into a stunner off of Sky's back, then hit a code red. The pace escalates. There's these rolling Germans from Sky. Allen stops it by bending the fingers, but then Sky gets his grip uh, fastened and then Germans Allen into the corner. It picks up when Darby goes for a tope suicida and he's caught with a cutter on the floor. And this. This looked pretty damn great. It looked awesome. Like I would put it up there with any of the Orton 
RKO counters. This this looked fantastic. Yeah, and these guys, they had some real ambitious ideas yes. that could have easily crashed and burned, and they hit everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, he rolls Darby in after the cutter on the floor for a two count. Allen comes back. He goes for a coffin drop. He is countered in midair into a sit-out powerbomb. Like, Amazing. the timing of this. Um, yeah. And then Sky picks him up for the TKO. It's countered with an inside cradle, and Darby catches him in 13-14. These guys were great. Completely agreed. And uh, for me, this was my match of the night. I had little interest going into this because, you know, of like Sky being such a, I don't know, a quickly put together challenger. And we understand why that was. But man, this match was awesome. To me, it totally delivered. I gasped at some of those very creatively devised, perfectly executed video game counters. Um, all three, I think, you know, that you mentioned, this, this, they deserve to be seen at the very least in highlight form, if not the entire match. But then, of course, for storyline purposes, we were complaining about uh, Sky, you know, not being given much focus, but it turns out the ladder match and then this match were just a way to catapult him into a storyline. This was a very big night for Scorpio Sky. They He had a fantastic match. And then afterward, Sky is frustrated and Darby comes over and he just slaps him on the back. And he does it in such a way that Sky just snaps and he grabs Darby and applies this ankle lock on him and is forcing Darby to tap, which was important to note. And the officials have to intervene. And then he finally releases it. And he's looking shocked before he smiles at his work. And I think this sets up Scorpio for, you know, a great program with Darby. I thought this was, I really enjoyed that opening match with Matt Jackson and Ray Phoenix, but I think this had more importance attached to it because of the people involved and specific for Scorpio Sky. I'm happy to see it. Finally, a Scorpio Sky program, and uh, it seems like it's probably a new character ship that he can probably, you know, really sink his teeth into. Um, this probably means the end of SCU, if not um, already, then, you know, pretty soon to come. So I think he just needs to finalize the turn by beating on Daniels. Wouldn't that be great? Um, I think the laughing at the hands was a bit much, personally, like when he's like, Dude, I I almost like, thought was it was it was like a knock at some of the like NXT stuff that has been uh, criticized for the the hands the hand staring. I don't I don't know if it was much of a knock or him trying to do. Uh, have you ever have you ever stared at your hands? Is that what you've done? <laughs> no, but then I've never turned heel uh, after a title match either. Next week's show is on St. Patrick's Day, so it's going to be themed St. Patrick's Day Slam. We're going to get John Moxley and Eddie Kingston against the Good Brothers, Cody Rhodes against Penta, Jurassic Express and Bear Country against Matt Hardy, Private Party, The Butcher, and The Blade, Jade Cargill in action, and in the main event, an unsanctioned lights-out match between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. So they are putting the women in the big spotlight next week and With no doing lights. a lights-out match. Yeah, big spotlight. Well, I guess the big spotlight with the the rest of the the lights out. Yeah, I have a high ex- expectations for this one. Does this mean though, when they can promote this all week as the first women's main event on Dynamite, that it actually doesn't count because it's a lights out match? Does it go down the record book? It never <laughs> I, happened. I, I, I'm not sure, but is it actually the first AEW women's main event? I think it is. 
Have they headlined wow. a dynamite before? I don't know. I figured like a Riho match or like some sort of title match would have headlined, but maybe maybe you're right. Uh, we'll fact check. To be in the closing segment, like sometimes you might get the last match, but the closing segment, I'm pretty sure like that's where this has to go. I believe this is the first. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. It's a match I'm looking forward to. Uh, I have high expectations for it. And, you know, Lights Out kind of promises like a level of violence. And the, and the feud has warranted expect. it. Like you could see yep. like this is building towards this. It's not just out of left field. And then the final segment, the inner circle comes out for their war council. Jericho says they've declined, but they are still the best in the business, so they need to adjust. And he teases a new member when MJF interjects and says it might actually be time to get rid of someone. But before he can go on, Sammy Guevara returns. Jericho says, I said you were dead to me. Guevara plays some footage from earlier in the day. He set up his phone and there in the inner circle dressing room, MJF approaches Santana, Ortiz, and Jake Hager and says, we've been talking about it for months. We need new leadership. And he is plotting to take out Chris Jericho tonight. So the footage is played. MJF tells Santana and Ortiz and Hager, okay, get him. And they turn towards Jericho. And as they size him up, they then do the turn. And everyone got flashbacks to the invasion. Hopefully this has a better outcome. And they are with Chris Jericho. The spy versus spy story here. He's outsmarted. Jericho MJF. was in that, that original turn as well. Yes, he was in he that in that ring in Cleveland. Cleveland, mm-hmm. I think. Um, he says, shut up, you stupid son of a bitch. You don't think we talk every single day? He's the one that brought him in, and he's the one that's going to take MJF out fires him, and then says, I'm going to give you a beatdown. MJF is begging for forgiveness. He says, Chris, I never wanted to take your group. I was too busy building my own. And way we go back to September the 16th, AEW Dynamite, MJF explaining that you don't get a fair shake around here without a group or a faction. There seems to be a new one popping up every week. Maybe the lone wolf needs to join a wolf pack. And with that, MJF prompts the lights to go out. I don't know how this worked in Daly's place, but the lights went out in the outdoor stadium. Um, I mean, there's still lights on the ring. Well, it was completely pitch black. And then they came on, and there was FTR, Wardlow, Sean Spears, and the muscle, Tully Blanchard. (laughs) And they attacked the inner circle. Sammy Guevara got curb stomped by Spears into a chair in the corner. Dax smashed a bottle over Jake Hager. They handcuffed Ortiz and Santana and delivered the spike pile driver while handcuffed together. Uh, Jericho takes the worst of this, and they put the big spotlight on Wardlow just destroying Jericho with a knee off the turnbuckle. And then MJF uses the dynamite diamond ring to nail Jericho. He's bleeding, which his, uh, his white jacket should have been a tip off right at the beginning of this segment of what was to happen uh, with Jericho. And then Tully takes Floyd, hands it to MJF and he nails Jericho in the head with the bat. And it closes with 
Wardlow and the group going to the stage and Wardlow power bombs Jericho off the stage. And that is how it ends. I thought this was a really nice surprise on something that um yeah, most people expected maybe not to go down the way that they, you know, were teased, but I certainly didn't see MJF being the one to complete this four horsemen faction or is it five horsemen at this point? I think a lot of people were suggesting Cody perhaps. That was sort of the indication that they'd been given for months. Uh especially especially with Arn coming out, you know, and flashing the four on that show last week. Um but it turning out to be MJF, I think, is a great surprise. It's a great way to culminate this MJF inner circle feud with the addition of basically a counter to the inner circle. Um, and he's going to be a fantastic flair-like leader. I love the co- collection of him with FTR. And uh, certainly uh, Wardlow is going to be elevated to that next level, being his own sort of you know big muscle guy in his own stable. Sean Spears... He's been totally forgotten about recently, but this will probably reinvigorate him slightly as well. But it, it makes for a really nice set of stable wars we have coming up. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, this would have been, you know, your your blood and guts match that you could do. And maybe they get there at a later date. Maybe they they entertain doing it at some point. But this was, this should set up, you know, months of story uh, following it. I do feel yeah. this should... Uh, I, I do hope that Chris Jericho is uh, disappears for a little bit after this. At least a week. So. You need to go away. Yeah, but they're very maybe. they're very resilient in this company. They are sure. I mean, you can go away and still have a presence on the show if that's what they're worried about. But um, was the beatdown? Yeah, it was a pretty big. The, the Jericho one was the Jericho. Yeah. It was like he was destroyed in this. He especially, yes. I think, needs to yeah. sell this. Uh, but this seems to effectively babyface Jericho in the inner circle, at least. Yeah, which is a very either. different direction for them to go with the inner circle after, you know, almost two years. You can kind of argue they're already babyfaces. I'm sure they'll retain a lot of their personalities, but like, you know, just, just be opposing people that are more hateable. Well, that was Dynamite. I thought that uh, the show, to me, started really strong with that match. And I I thought, like, the middle portion, to me, it was... It was kind of lacking for me, like fine, but to me not not the same level of buzz that I would I would say a lot of the post pay per view shows had. Uh, but we had a really strong uh, final couple of segments here with the Derby match with Scorpio Sky, huge angle at the end. Uh, I think when you couple that with uh, the opening match and and setting up some stuff for the future, like you could certainly see a lot of pieces put in place on this show that overall were very Cody and Penta. Uh, Christian and, and Omega that I, I think overall this was a uh, a pretty solid dynamite in terms of uh, building for your next pay-per-view cycle and maybe beyond felt like an eventful show that like I felt you know my time was well spent on I had an explanation for the Kingston Moxley thing you had a big turn in the final uh, uh, main event segment and Scorpio Sky turning heel I thought was a pretty significant thing too it followed a great match um, I do feel like Certain things in this match, I I feel like the execution of weren't the prettiest. Um, like even the main event segment, I felt I felt like there were kind of some timing issues with some of the uh, lights out, lights on types types of things that weren't perfect. Um, but that's live TV for you, I suppose. Maybe you thought it was those TSN flashes we were getting. Could have been that as well, but you know that might have affected other people's uh, perhaps feelings about this show as well but still it was like this was to me a show that whose which whose main priority was to put out that fire 
or again, shit, I keep hating using that word, but <laughs> to to basically fix the issues of Sunday. And I think they largely did that, but I'm curious to know how people felt because I have no idea what the reaction was to it. Yeah, I mean, some could go into tonight's show being the goal should be to make you forget about what happened Sunday. Uh, that did not seem to be what they were necessarily going for. Like they I were not. That was the goal because people won't forget if they don't answer it. Well, that that's what I'm bringing up is that that yeah. could have been like you could have looked at this show and said, "Let's we're doing this huge angle. Uh, let's just we're moving on and we're going to forget about it." They did not forget about Sunday, and again, I think they 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 might have paid too much uh, to it and, and not enough on really selling you on like the after effects of the match because that was to me almost non-existent on this show. So it was it, just interesting to see how AEW was going to handle uh, what was a pretty negative reaction to the closing couple of minutes of a pay-per-view, which they have not had to, had to react to in that, in that kind of fervor. Yeah. Coming off of this show, I have to say like, it was probably the most negative press I've seen for an AEW show, negative reviews, not even so much press, but like negative reaction to an AEW show pay-per-view um, since they began. And uh, I wonder if tonight's show changed that. Well, we go to the forum. We got a fair amount of feedback here. The forum gave this a 7.92. So a, a strong outing for the post-revolution edition. Johnny starts us off. Despite not being a champion, Ray Phoenix is quickly running away with wrestler of the year for me. Constantly delivers in singles matches and is the shining star in tag matches. Also good on both Mox and Kingston in taking the negative of a dud and trying to spin it into a positive. While I want Phoenix to be the single star of the two, I'm 100% into a Penta run. And I hope this is how they write Cody out with Penta bringing back his arm snapping gimmick. The problem with that is that Penta's done the arm snapping gimmick to so many people that it's had no effect on for any length of time that it's kind of hard to now suddenly make this this deadly thing. Unfortunately, it's like, it's a spot that like when you put enough focus on it's, it can be very devastating, but he does it every match that it's, it's no longer all, all that devastating. Um, I, I think you can use the excuse that somebody coming into the match with an existing injury can have it permanently damaged. You're right. He has the shoulder injury to, to work upon. So it's not, it's, it's compounding an existing injury. Uh, Johnny also mentions the audio issues here that he had. Uh, I get working live events is hard, but man, these audio issues really hurt the show. Hearing NBA audio during Hangman Page's, or sorry, during Ethan Page's debut, man, sucks to have your debut match sort of ruined. Um, so there you go. You're getting like... You weren't missing that much, everybody. Like, what? It was... Didn't say that much. Like, his promo wasn't that great. I don't well, maybe know. some people were curious about what the score was on the NBA game and you got to have both. They gave you some convenience there. You've heard of picture in picture. This was like audio in picture. Yeah. Yeah. We go. Uh, so we go up next to Kenny who says there was a lot to like on the show tonight, including two, four pl star plus matches. But for me, Pentagon stole the show. I really hope they have bigger plans for him than a one week program with Cody. I feel ter I, I Penta wins that, right? I would do that. Yeah. Or at and least should, end it with like a big injury. You could go that that direction too. But he should um, break the arm. Yeah, I think I think you can explain that away because you have been focusing on the shoulder. Yeah, he says I feel terrible for Ethan Page. Just three days after his debut, where he was immediately overshadowed by a bigger debut, he has his first TV match ruined by audio issues. The guy feels like he's already dead in the water. He'll recover fast. It's he it, it, like people who could talk. It's like, look at Eddie Kingston. Like he had, he was put in the worst circumstance possible, like embarrassing himself. Like 
Unfortunately, he didn't even like have a match, and yet he came out of it looking the worst. But I the Karate feel Man thing was still worse than having the NBA <laughs> yes. playing over your match. Uh, yeah, Andrew from Cape Breton. AEW's mindset is the same as Bob Ross's. There are no mistakes, just happy accidents. I thought they did an incredible job tonight trying to explain away the disaster finish on the pay-per-view, and the company are very lucky they have people like Moxley and Kingston to talk for them. What put it over the top for me was Omega and Callis mocking Kingston. Now, obviously, they can't have a mistake like that again on their show, but the company has a lot of creative people and great talkers that can try to make sense out of anything. I really enjoyed the show tonight, and it set a lot of new angles in motion. I liked MJF's new stable, Matt Hardy's new stable, and it seems like they have a lot more fresh and new directions. Great show tonight. We get Aaron from Brampton who says, Like many people, I tune in to see how they'd explain the blunder from Revolution. I was impressed with how Don was able to spin it. However, then they leaned into the joke a bit too much. What I despised about the segment was having to hear Kenny Omega shout, 69 me, 69 me. My God, that was ever, was that ever cringe? I'm glad, uh, by the way, and I think Brandon uh, has found his clip for the next night. I'm glad nobody else was in the room to see me watching that. This is where I'm not sold on him as a top guy. His mic skills are not strong. It's not like he doesn't have the charisma. He just doesn't sound like someone I'm supposed to take seriously. I get he's a chicken shit heel, but he shouldn't sound like a 15-year-old. Okay, the next one from Raymond. Can I vote 69 out of 10? I mean, come on. There's really no other answer than that. An episode of pivoting out of a bad situation and making it remarkably better. That was great TV, albeit for the TNT engineer not being able to find a mountain high enough when he was playing the NBA TV audio in the Dynamite feed. Uh, he notes Marvin Gaye's song was playing during the Ethan Page Lee Johnson match. What? So it was NBA and I guess they. That had doesn't the sound so bad. I wouldn't mind like some Marvin Gaye over top of a wrestling match. That's fine. They could, it could have made a beautiful. We're missing out here, like you and I on you know on our TSN feed. I mean, this is all the stuff we missed. Yes. We got a Johnny from Saskatoon who says, Great episode of Dynamo tonight. It really felt like AEW's version of the New Year's Dash setting up all sorts of new feuds. Now that the Elite is on the back burner, the Inner Circle versus MJF's new group is the blood and guts match I want to see. Do you think they can hold it off for that long? Because like they said, they've said in the past they want to delay blood and guts till Jersey. And that's not scheduled till the fall. I mean, they don't appear to be in any rush to get out of Daly's place and... I mean, it's to me like they're doing the pay-per-view in May at Daly's Place. So I, I just – I've said it from the beginning. I don't think you can have that mindset of holding things off till things reopen again to that level because you just don't know. Like I could understand that thinking you know, 10 months ago when we're a month or two into this and hoping by the summer. But at this point, you just – you've got to go ahead with stuff. It's not ideal, but you just have to go forward with stuff. Nick writes, as a rebound from an unfortunate ending on Sunday, this show had plenty of highlights. The Mox and Kingston promo, as well as the Callus Omega explanation, felt legitimate and in line with the personalities of all four characters. Moments like that, that, that stare off are exactly what Christian needs to feel. Moment, okay. Uh, the NBA audio botch from TNT was super unfortunate, and I feel terrible for Ethan Page and Lee Johnson. Hopefully Page gets a spotlight next week to make another impression. He gives this show a 6.9 out of 10. We got a Gerard who says a pretty good show. I don't know why how others think, but they tried to recover from Revolution as well as they could have. 
I was actually surprised that Darby retained. I am of the opinion he's much better chasing a title than being champion. The final angle was well done, but I don't like angles at the end of TV unless a match directly led to it. It reminds me too much of the bad stuff I saw in Nitro and Raw during the Monday Night Wars. And while I love MJF and Wardlow, FTR and Sean Spears just don't seem hot or interesting enough in general to be teaming with them. I disagree about FTR. Maybe Sean Spears you can make a case for because he hasn't really been involved in anything. But I think FTR is really hot right now. This is also the night of the formation. I think the idea is that this group is going to elevate all people involved. I think that you know the next mm-hmm. coming weeks you're going to see that that established in place. And they they are going to become your top heel unit replacing the inner circle. Yes. Kate, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but the two promos about Explosion Gate tonight almost made it worth sitting through the original screw-up. Clearly, they couldn't make everything better, but I think the two explanatory segments came as close as anything could. They fixed it enough that we can and should move on. In fact, while I enjoyed the matches we got tonight, I felt like the most memorable elements were the promos and storyline developments. Penta was compelling in two languages, a heel turn helped Scorpio Sky, and the game of one-upsmanship between Jericho and MJF leading to their inner circle versus parallel universe inner circle was well done. I even liked Lance Archer's brief promo, although it left me confused as to how I'm supposed to be viewing him. I'd just gotten used to him as a babyface, and now he seems to be back to his heelish ways. A very satisfying episode that made me look forward to next week. Yeah, I'm trying to think about Archer. So he's going to feud with Sting. In theory. In theory, yeah, while he was a babyface. Yeah, who knows what's going on with him, heel or babyface-wise. Okay, we got a Brody from Vancouver who says, The very first empty arena show had Tully, Wardlow, MJF, and Spears ringside gambling on matches. I have zero expectations, but if they explain that was the starting point of the relationship, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Penta looked like a star. Sky, Darby, completely exceeded my expectations. Next week looks stacked. AEW is making me love wrestling again. 9.5 out of 10. Jim Powers writes in, Eddie Kingston is the bravest man in pro wrestling. He threw himself on top of Moxley to protect him from the explosion on Sunday, and then he was tasked with going on the next TV show to explain how to move on from that catastrophe. And he somehow pulled it off. What a guy. And con Callis's dive onto Kenny. I can't believe the Jackal is a major part of this show and is doing such a great job on top of it all. I love the Chuck E. Cheese segment. Did you know they call it Charlie Cheese in Australia? Because down under, to Chuck means to throw up. It's true. Where do you guys think MJF ranks among the top heels in pro wrestling today? I struggle to think of a better one right now, and I'm not sure there's a better actor in pro wrestling either. Define acting, though. Like, is acting improvising uh, the majority of your character, or is it reading somebody's words off of a page? Because I feel like there are multiple ways that people are being tasked to, you know, act in, in wrestling, and some do it better than the others. Uh, MJF is definitely up there. I'm a huge fan of Roman Reigns and what he's doing on SmackDown. Um, and in certain situations, like, you know, anybody can do well. I think Randy Orton can be a terrific actor, like under the right circumstance with the right feud. So top here. Suzuki, I would put in there. Uh, MJF's up there. Like he's in that elite company in the industry um, for sure. One more. Lewis. Lewis from Long Beach who says, I thought this was a really important dynamite and they did a really good job recovering from what was their worst pay-per-view moment outside of that Matt Hardy-Sammy Guevara match. 
having two of your best talkers immediately address the disaster that was the deathmatch finish and pretty much immediately pivoting them into a new tag team was pretty great stuff. The same could be said for Kenny Omega and Don Callis coming out and giving the botch just enough attention that they didn't ignore it without letting it distract from the storyline. Setting up Christian as the next challenger felt a bit flat to me, but overall the ending of this show made up for any of its shortcomings with a fantastic angle that keeps getting keeps the inner circle together, seemingly turns them babyface and makes the six horsemen. Not sure what to call MJF's faction, but I was genuinely surprised by the reveal, and I really enjoyed the show overall. Overwhelmingly positive uh, reaction to the explanation, John. I think a lot of that too. Like I, like it was to me. Um, I feel like this is a pretty. This is an audience by and large. Not to say this covers everybody, but I think the natural expectation is ignoring the negative. Focus on. The positive that just acknowledging it already wins you points with people because it's yes. so far from the norm and because it doesn't insult their intelligence and and we can take an example like that Roman Reigns Kevin Owens last man standing match where everybody in the world saw that referee stop that count and no one not going. a person expected that to be acknowledged on SmackDown there was no call for WWE has to address this or it's you're no one expected it because that is drummed into you that. They will not call attention to that. If anything, they'll go back and just edit stuff to eliminate that. So in AEW, they were really under um, a microscope here to address it. And and to their credit, they did. They could have gone the WWE route. And there would have been some people upset. But at the end of this show, they probably still would have been talking about the big angle at the end. It's just kind of been harped upon that you, you don't necessarily focus on stuff like that. You don't insult your audience's intelligence. You don't kind of men in black. <laughs> Man, that was another. They actually did that on Monday. You don't men in black. You don't men in black pen them literally on the show, nor figuratively, uh, by you know just kind of waving your magic wand and pretending that people don't remember. Because uh, clearly, everybody does, and you stand to gain more respect by being creative and playing with this cha- these challenges to create something new. So it seems like they they delivered. So it seems a, a well-received episode of Dynamite, a lot of angles on tonight's show, and we are going to be signing off. Thank you for listening. Up Next has a show that is probably available now in the Up Next feed, going through a pretty a pretty loaded edition of NXT. Like I was very intrigued to watch NXT tonight, which I'm going to be doing after this. So uh, lots uh, for Braden and Davey to go through from NXT on Wednesday night. Way is on the British Wrestling Experience Thursday, and then the two of us are back Friday. We'll have a post-pro res with WH, and then Way and I live at 10.15 Eastern for all patrons for Rewind a Smackdown. Yeah, and then a bunch of stuff on the weekend as well. John Cena's got Impact Sacrifice coverage. I'll be back for Rewind a Vision, the final, real final episode of Rewind a Vision, and then we're back to do it all again next week. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, watching. We will see you on Friday.